Coming up next on The Voice of Alabama Politics, our special guest is Katie Boyd Britt, President and CEO of BCA. And APR's Chip Brownlee breaks down COVID-19 by the numbers. And Governor Kay Ivey has gone into battle to secure the CARES Act's funds. Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. She's serious, people. She's protecting the state's money. All this and much, much more coming up next on The V. to the voice of Alabama politics, where we tackle the tough issues so you have the hard facts. I'm your host, Bill Britt, and today I'm joined by Josh Moon, investigative reporter at APR and columnist, and Susan Britt, my life partner and constant companion. Josh, how are you doing? I'm all right, guys. How about y'all? Doing good. Doing good. Doing great. Locked down. Everybody's still locked down, huh? Yeah, pretty much locked down, but not locked up. That's right. That's your step up on a lot of people. Yeah, that's right. Well, this week, what has been a public battle between the governor and the Senate, especially in the legislature, has gotten a lot more interesting. I mean, the fight was over the $1.8 billion in CARES Act spending. I mean, the legislature was totally embarrassed when she revealed that not only they wanted to use $200 million to build a new state house, but this was nothing more, Josh, than a pork barrel wish list that left the CARES money in the hands of a few leadership in the, in the Senate and House and really let cut the governor out completely, which is not what was ever intended by the CARES Act. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I think everybody kind of saw through immediately when you, when there was a big fight over this. That uh, whenever there's a fight like this, I think most people understand now that somebody wants to do something um, untoward with the money because otherwise you would get together and you would say, hey, here are these legitimate expenses that we think we all need to pay for here. They, you know, the hospitals, the nursing homes, the small businesses, uh, you know, maybe kick a little back to the people of Alabama who put the money in in the first place. Not crazy, I know. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, that's what would happen ordinarily. And so when you have a fight like this, you can pretty well bet that one side or the other is looking to spend the money on some crap they shouldn't be spending it on. And Susan, the one thing that they did is they tried to negotiate, the governor tried to negotiate mm-hmm. with President Pro Tem of the Senate, Dale Marsh, and a couple other folks. They were supposed to negotiate in good faith. And they just basically went in and said, look, it's our way or the highway. And Ivy said, look, I don't want to control the money, but suggested a six-panel mm-hmm. uh, a group uh, that included the uh, minority leaders and the four budget chairs to determine how the money would be spent. Wait a but minute. They black just, people? They wanted black people to help spend the money? No way. 
<laughs> of course not. <laughs> well, that's exactly what they said. They said absolutely not. Yeah. They and wanted what they wanted to do was come up with you know a committee that uh, was the, like the two budget chairs and the governor, which is illegal. You can't cross the legislative and executive branch. Right. Then they came back with something like the speaker and the pro tem. Yeah. And, and it's like, guys, come on. This read your constitution first. And then she said, why don't we do it this way, right. nonpartisan way, which is very much her style. And they went. Oh, not having that. No, but the whole thing just went downhill from there. The Senate, many of the senators have gone on radio, they've gone on television, they've gone on blogs, and just bashed the governor like a ridden mule, Josh. I don't think it's worked. You know? No, it hadn't. And I think a lot of it has been the fact that, you know, it is a woman, you know, standing up to him here. Uh, you know, I, I think that that takes a... Uh, it takes a lot of them by surprise to, for that to be the case, you know, and I think they are extra offended uh, by that, by that fact, you know, okay, obviously should be making them sandwiches, not spending the money, you know, it's a, uh, <laughs> uh, but just, you know, uh, I think that that plays a, a little bit of a role here is that, you know, they, because, and I say that because the hostility has been so great on this. Okay. Right, right, I mean, right. it hadn't just been a simple disagreement with people. They have right. really been angry at her uh, because she wanted to dictate some of the way this money was being spent, and she wanted to prevent them from spending it on some pet projects. Yeah. Well, Richard Shelby, I mean, we, we made national news, and we made it into Again. the Senate discussions because they pointed to Alabama legislature and said, this is exactly how we didn't want this money spent. And Senator Shelby, who's one of the smartest guys around, said, it was stupid. And it was. It, it was stupid. The only thing they had on that wish list that had anything to do with COVID was some pittance for PPEs. Yeah, I mean, it was $25 million for some protection, stuff like that. Rest of it, pork barrel. But on Thursday, Kay Ivey pulled a brilliant move. She attached a, an executive amendment mm -hmm. to the Porsche, the bill that gave them control. Right, that's over, the supplemental budget. Right, the supplemental appropriations bill. Mm -hmm. And now they're going to have to deal with it because they have to deal with the executive amendments. It's going to the Senate. The Senate has not reached out to Ivy, not the leadership, but Matt McCutcheon and Steve Klaus are on board mm -hmm. with this amendment. Now, if they can get it through the Senate, that's the big question, Josh. Yeah, and I think that um, uh, it, what really, really helps them a lot uh, in the governor's office is the fact that they have the House already on board. And so you see now that there is agreement and what, what Kay Ivey has put out here is uh, at least to one side of the, of the legislature is acceptable and something that they can work with and something that they feel like is fair and just uh, for the people. Uh, so when you have that, uh, I think it's really, really becomes difficult now for the Senate to make any sort of claim uh, that this is inappropriate or that, that there should be some different ways this thing is spent. So it, it really kind of puts some pressure on Del Marsh and those guys. Well, the thing is, is you know, Del Marsh and them could reject that part of the amendment and still pass that supplemental budget, uh, but then it may not go through the House. But the only thing that this amendment says is that it should be spent the way Trump and Congress intended it to be spent. She doesn't have a wish list in that. She just wants them to adhere to what was coming down from... Right. I mean, it's city, it's counties, it's the state, nursing homes, hospitals, schools, colleges, you know, protection for third or second or third wave. I mean, mm -hmm. these are what it was meant to be spent for, not a technology park to teach robotics. 
I mean, good God. I know. It's a, you know, if you look at the guidelines she laid out, I don't think anybody would look at those things and say, well, that's unfair. Those are, those are things that shouldn't be in this budget. I think all of it was, was focused on things that have come up uh, in, in the last few months because of this crisis that we're under. And I believe it is things that we can legitimately spend the money on prior to December, which is another big point of this. You don't have to just appropriate exactly. the money in the next few months. you got to spend it in the next few months. That's right. I mean, you've got – and look, while I can make a big run at spending $1.8 billion – it's hard to do. Yeah, it is. But we got to do it, and we got to do it right, and that's what the governor's fighting for. Glad that McCutcheon and, and Budget Chair Klaus are on board, and the House is there. Josh, thanks for joining us today. Yes, sir. Thank y'all. All right. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. When we come back, BCA President and CEO, Katie Boyd Britt. We shut down our country because of the coronavirus, but it's time to get back to work. It's time to open our restaurants. Let's reopen our movie theaters. Shh. Let's open up our hair salons. Can you take a little off the top? Let's safely open our businesses and put Americans back to work. Most importantly, our places of worship. Just reopening this economy is not enough. We need to bring manufacturing back to America, where it belongs. American manufacturing means American jobs. It's a matter of national security. I'm Barry Moore, Republican for Congress, and I approve this message. What are you doing today, babe? I thought I'd head down the lake with the guys, do a little fishing. Of course, none of us will be wearing our seat belts. I'll lose control of the truck, wrap it around a tree, and kill us all. Okay. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. I'm John Merrill. As your Secretary of State, my goal is to ensure that each and every eligible U.S. citizen that's a resident of Alabama is registered to vote and has a photo ID. If you're concerned about going to the polls on July the 14th, we want to encourage you to download an absentee ballot application at alabamavotes.gov or contact your local circuit clerk. Make sure you enclose a copy of your photo ID when you submit your application. We may not see you in person, but through absentee, we'll see you at the polls. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. Our special guest today is BCA President and CEO, Katie Boyd Britt. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. It's wonderful to see you and Susan. I wish it were in person, but I'll take virtually over nothing. <laughs> we will too. It's great to see you. It is great to see you. I know that the Business Council of Alabama has been very busy uh, uh, trying to stay in touch with all the businesses that y'all represent and to represent them in a strong, passionate way. Give us an overview of what's happening out there among the business community and what the attitude is and, and, and how people are, are just working hard to, to keep business alive. 
Well, Bill, I appreciate you asking that. I will tell you, um, we have seen resiliency from our businesses from the top to the bottom of the state. Um, we've seen people being innovative in their approach and how they get their product to their customer. Um, I do want to make sure everybody knows, I mean, it has been a real challenge, obviously, over the last two months. Some businesses, you know, partially shuttering and some having to shutter completely. Um, the setbacks that has caused on those people's bottom lines and ability to make good on loans they may have and employees and, and all kinds of things has been has been really significant. Um, but I am proud of Alabamians. I'm proud of us coming together. Um, seeing local chambers and communities support local has been a really encouraging thing to do. And then importantly, for people being putting safety first. I mean, making sure the safety of their employees and their customers and the community at large comes first has been really encouraging. I'm sure you've gone into several small businesses and businesses across the state and see the measures that they're taking, you know, and right. often, right. it's, it's really, it's incredible. And I am proud. We have a partnership with CCAA, which is the local chambers across the state. Some of them have been working independently. Some have been working in concert with the lieutenant governor um, and his efforts to bring PPP to the businesses that need it. I mean, PPE to the businesses that need it, you know, making sure that people have access to, you know, where can you buy that hand sanitizer? Where can you get those masks? And so we certainly appreciate his efforts and the efforts of the chambers across the state and helping our small businesses and, and businesses really be prepared to reopen. That's great. Katie, uh, the BCA has set up a small business exchange. Can you explain a little bit about that to us? Yes, absolutely. So it became very apparent, obviously, and I know that the words uncertain and, and challenging have almost been overused, but they're so accurate in describing exactly what we're dealing with. And I will tell you when the federal, when the CARES Act, um, you know, was signed into law, there were so many questions. And we found that some of our entities that, you know, maybe had um, resources, whether it, it, an accountant or in-house attorney or something of that nature, could very quickly navigate what they needed to do to get those funds in their hands. And it were the very people that needed it the small businesses that had the questions and that needed the resources to be able to answer those things and to get that money to keep that small business alive. So we felt it very important um, to get those answers for them. And I was proud to see from all across the state, some of the very best attorneys, um, some of the very best accountants and bankers volunteered their time. So we did a special on Alabama Public Television and really appreciate their partnership in that and kind of talked about everything. We had the governor, the lieutenant governor, um, you know, we had Secretary Washington, kind of in all sorts. We had Rosemary Elabash from NFIB and Jason Isbell from the Banking Association and Carl Jamison uh, from Jamison Money of Armor Accountant to talk small business through the issues they were facing. And the neat thing was we had uh, gosh, almost 50 volunteers from these incredible law firms and bankers uh, across the state to answer questions for small business. And Susan, we had hundreds of calls. And it was really neat because as we know, that money is first come, first serve. And we wanted to make sure that Alabama was prepared and ready and in line to receive it. I, I, know, I know personally where y'all, your staff reached out to a small business just to help them guide them through the process of getting the... Uh, payroll protection uh, 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 plan in place. I'm sure you and Susan heard the same thing, but we were getting calls consistently. People just terrified. You know, what do we do and, and what comes next and how do I do this? So we wanted to be a resource and we wanted to step up to the plate in that way. 
Well, there have been some new guidelines on the, the, the payroll protection program. Can you give us a little highlight of what's changed and what's, what's going on right now? Absolutely. Well, I will tell you, it seems to be an ever-moving target, um, so, yeah. we, so we need to keep paying attention to it. Um, but obviously, I think the original intent was, how do we get this money in the hands of people who need it as fast as possible? And because of that, you know, there was kind of, there was a very, there was an ease. Now, I, I know a lot of people who went through the process would say, no, 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 there was not. But, um, you know, people were granted when they put in the application, were granted that funding. Well, as the guidelines have come out from SBA and obviously um, Treasury, uh, we have learned that some of the people who applied were actually not eligible for the loans. So that's kind of wow. one thing that's out there. And so you would think if you received your check, well, surely that means that I qualified. Well, you know, um, we, we kind of have to take a look at that. So I encourage everyone to talk to their banker, talk to their accountant, you know, your attorney, talk to whoever it is that you're working with to make sure that as these new guidelines have come out, that you still actually um, are eligible for those funds. They have extended the grace period through May 18th to say people kind of no questions asked, send that money back. And so what we want to do is encourage our businesses and entities and organizations throughout the state to, to quickly make that check and make sure that they were that they did um, they were eligible. And then the second bill, it's really important because the whole purpose of this is for it to turn into a grant-like um, you know, source of right. money and right. not a loan. So if you did get it and, and you know you meet those qualifications, and there is actually a safe harbor for if it was under $2 million to say, yes, you, you know, we believe that in good faith you did this, we'll kind of um, we'll kind of put that to the side. But I think it's it's critical that we all take a look and say, what are the guidelines? Make sure you meet it. Because if you don't, then that quickly turns from a loan that is forgiven to a loan you have to repay. And we do not want to see that for our businesses in Alabama. We'll continue to update that at on BCA. But I also encourage you to continue to talk to your banker and make sure that you're meeting the requirements that you need to. We've got just about 15 seconds left and we could talk to you all day. Give us sort of the bottom line on what you hope and see next coming from the federal government? From the federal government, I think we need to take a little bit of time with regards to looking at what is actually needed. I think the first three bills that came through were something to kind of quickly jumpstart and keep the economy moving. I will say I hope now with a debt that we have that continues to soar, a national debt, we are passing this debt on to our not only our children, but our children's children's children at this point as it rises above $24 trillion. So we have got to have precision, Bill, in how we handle the money going forward. We need to take an accurate assessment of the needs and then pinpoint how we help them instead of throwing a blank check and hoping it fixes the problem. Well, I, we understand that one very much so. Thank you, Katie, for being on with us today. And stay safe and stay well and take care of your lovely family. Can't wait to see you again in person. I can't wait to see you all, too. Thank you again for having me. Thank you. You're watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. We'll be right back with more news and opinion.
I'm John Merrill. As your Secretary of State, my goal is to ensure that each and every eligible U.S. citizen that's a resident of Alabama is registered to vote and has a photo ID. If you're concerned about going to the polls on July the 14th, we want to encourage you to download an absentee ballot application at alabamavotes.gov or contact your local circuit clerk. Make sure you enclose a copy of your photo ID when you submit your application. We may not see you in person, but through absentee, we'll see you at the polls. Hey man, what are you doing today? Um, playing the game. Thought I'd go out for a drive later maybe. Text some friends while I'm doing it. Scroll through social media. Kill a family four and a head on collision. Cool, man. Drive safe, Alabama. A message from your Alabama Department of Transportation. Welcome back to The V, the voice of Alabama politics. We're joined today by Chip Brownlee, who does so many things at APR, we can't even begin to mention them. Wonder, wonder boy. Yeah, welcome back, Chip. Thank you for having me. I'm always glad to talk with you. And it's always good to see you on video. <laughs> Absolutely. Miss you so much. Absolutely. Well, you know, you've done an exceptional job of compiling the data that comes out of the public health office and, and, and displaying it in a way that people can digest what's actually going on. I mean, this last week we, we, we uh, compiled over 11,000 cases uh, of people infected nearly 500 dead, and on Thursday, the Alabama Department of Public Health reported 401 new cases and 21 new deaths. I mean, is that not a record since we started tracking these? It is, it is a single day record. Um, it, it was the most new cases that we've seen on a single day. And I think it's important to not just look at one day. We we need to look at seven-day averages and 14-day averages. And if you look at those numbers, those have also spiked and are staying, you know, they're, they're still rising. So the numbers are not, based on case numbers and deaths, are not getting any better. I know we didn't run a, a piece that we would normally run from this individual, but they made the inference no, they made the statement that the cases in Alabama had plateaued. That's not true, is it? No, it's not true. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the data, you can tell a lot of different stories. One is that the cases are still going up. I mean, it, it is not plateaued. It's not flat. We're still increasing the number of cases, and the deaths are still increasing. And it's important to not just look at the flat case count or the flat death rate. Um, it's also important to look at how many people you have in the hospital. And in, and yesterday, earlier this week was on Tuesday was the highest number or Wednesday was the highest number of hospitalizations on a single day that hospitals have reported since the outbreak began. So it's not just the cases and deaths are going up. The hospitalization numbers are not getting any better either. And it's important to look at all these metrics and not just a case count. Um, so that's important. Well, I mean, we, we were told by the government that we shouldn't, we shouldn't reopen, we shouldn't do certain things until we saw a 14-day decrease and until we saw uh, uh, the, the numbers going down, steadily going down. Alabama opened up 
last Friday, I guess it was, a lot of the, the beaches and the restaurants, and there's no longer the crowd size control. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, we've done this, and yet our cases are rising. I mean, and I don't see any alarm among our public officials. Are you seeing alarm from the doctors and the, the professionals that you're talking to? Yes, I mean, the other thing to point out is that we, we lifted restrictions the first time on April 30th. That's when we lifted the stay-at-home order. Less than two weeks later, we lifted the restrictions again. And I think we did that before knowing what the effect of the initial loosening of restrictions was. So that's what I've been hearing from public health experts is they're saying, look, we didn't give it enough time to see what was going to happen. We had not reached a peak yet. Um, and, and we didn't wait to see what the effect of slowly loosening restrictions was going to be before we fully, basically fully reopened with some social distancing restrictions. And I, you know, you are hearing from public health experts and doctors who are really concerned that now that we've lifted restrictions, the amount of cases are going to go up. We'll have to wait to see exactly what happens. We're still not to a point where we can really tell, um, you know, what the effect of loosening restrictions is going to be. It'll still take another week or so. And you hear from public health officials with the state that they also don't think that, that we've had 14 days of a downward trend. And I think getting into why we lifted the stay-at-home order, you have to look at not just public health reasons. There are also economic reasons why the governor decided to lift the order. Um, and then there are political reasons as well. I mean, she was getting a whole lot of, of um, you know, criticism from people, Republicans on the right, who wanted to lift restrictions immediately. And I think she was trying to balance those, those competing claims. Right. And that's what it's come down to. I mean, it's come down to the fact that we're no longer saying we're going to defeat this disease. We're saying that we're going to uh, learn to live with it and do the best we can at staying safe. Now, I'm not sure that's the best decision, but in light of the economic crisis, the folks that have been put out of work, the businesses have been destroyed, the lives that have been turned upside down, it's probably the only choice that could be made given the way our society works. Uh, however, it is a political decision. And, and that's what we have to understand that and sometimes politics and science has to meet in the middle or somewhere to make a difference. But one of the things, Chip, and I know you and I have talked about this, is people doubt some of the science because it changes, but they just don't understand how basic science works. I mean, this is something you should have gotten in the fourth grade, right? <laughs> or, or somewhere in there. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is that science is not, a, it's not a thing where you have one answer to a question. Science is a lot of different people arguing and debating different things until we get to something that more approximates the truth. And you can see this play out with all of these, um, you know, studies and, and reports that are coming out from reputable scientists that disagree with other um, conclusions that are drawn by other scientists. And that doesn't mean that anybody's wrong. That means we're in the middle of a very fluid situation where new data and new information comes out every day and we learn a little bit more every day. It's not something where we can get 
it's not something where we can get one answer to a question immediately. Right. And Susan, you know this from, it's like politics, you know, if you watch it, it's messy. It's messy. It changes day to day. I know now we're, we're looking at more teenagers are getting this, uh, more infants are getting this. So, you know, the, the science is changing. So is the disease. Right. But there has, there's always a political element to all of it, and it's a, it's a fine balancing act that Ivy's having to do right now. Right. I, I don't envy her at all. No, I, as we've talked about before, there are no <coughs> good answers. There are only choices, and we make the best choices that we have. Well, I appreciate you coming on with us, Chip. It is always great to have you and always great to see you. Thank you so much for having me. I always enjoy talking with you all and trying to get this data out there. Well, You're doing a great job, man. Thank you. Well, thank you for watching. Stay safe, be strong, and have hope. You've been watching The V, the voice of Alabama politics. You watch us because we watch them. <laughs>